Amen. Hey, how you doing? Good. Uh, missed you guys. I really did. I'm not just saying that because uh, I'm contractually obligated. I really genuinely missed you guys. Uh, somebody doesn't believe I did. Uh, I shed a single tear. Um, no, I didn't. I didn't cry, but I, I did miss you. It feels like it's been a while. Thanksgiving um, and, uh, and all that. Hope it was a good Thanksgiving for you guys. Uh, tonight's going to be a cool night. Um, we've, got, uh, we've got a ton of stuff that we're trying to pack in here. Um, and it's going to be a different night, too. So uh, if, you're, if you're new here and you're like, okay, what's this thing look like? Tonight's going to be a little bit different. Also, next week is going to be a little bit different. Let me tell you about next week first. And then we'll just spend the rest of the time on tonight. Next week might be one of my favorite nights. Um, so our senior pastor at this church is a guy named Ted Kitchens. He's a legend. He's awesome. Loves Jesus. Incredible guy. So we are, yep, so we are going to have him and his wife come to renovate next week, uh, which will be really cool, yeah. And, uh, and so we're going to have them, and I'm going to interview them and walk them through. We're just calling it Wisdom with the Kitchens. Uh, or maybe we should call it Wisdom in the Kitchen. That'd be clever. Think about that. All right, we'll, we're going to think through some really clever things. Uh, but anyway, they're going to come up here, and that's going to be a cool thing. We had Ted come uh, like six months ago or eight months ago or something like that, and I loved it, man. It was such a cool night. And so now we're dragging his wife up here on stage with him. So that should be really, really cool. So uh, don't miss that. Okay, so tonight um, is going to be different. Let me tell you how. We have been going through the book of Ephesians. I have started almost every sermon the last five months like that. We're going through the book of Ephesians, and here's where we're at. Uh, and and where, where we've gotten to was the last renovate, which was two Wednesdays ago. Josh preached the beginning of chapter 6 of Ephesians. Now, he preached the beginning of chapter 6 of Ephesians, which would make you think tonight we are finishing the second half and the last part of chapter 6, which is the last chapter in Ephesians. However, uh, we are not because if you went to church this Sunday, and we put it on our social media, and we tried to encourage you guys to, to check it out, but Cody from our main service on Sunday morning preached that passage, um, which we, we did that on purpose. We kind of geared our Ephesians series to where we would end, and it would be an ability for us to come and be a part of the rest of the, the bigger church that we're a part of to hear how the book of Ephesians wraps up. And so Cody preached um, the armor of God part of, uh, of Ephesians, uh, and it was incredible. So if, if you don't go to this church or if you miss Sunday and if you're like, I need to know how the book ends, uh, don't panic. There's this thing called the internet, and uh, there's like videos of him preaching it on the internet. There's also podcasts that you can listen to in your ears. Okay, so uh, that's, so what we're going to do tonight is going to be epic. <clears throat> and we're going to see if I can do this in 34 minutes is going to be my goal. Maybe 32. Uh, I'm going to cover the entire book of Ephesians in 32 minutes. That's what's going to happen. Uh, so we're just going to do an overview. And, and, and one of the reasons for that is because, because this book has been really, really cool in my life. Um, the book of Ephesians has been transformative in my life, and even over the last couple of months of getting to study it and preach it, and I know for Josh also, uh, it's so, so rich. And so we wanted to take one night, especially since it's been a couple weeks and we didn't technically finish the book in here on a Wednesday night, and so we thought, man, let's just make this a night where we say, Lord, what are you doing in this book as a whole? So we're going to zoom out a little bit uh, and, and unpack it. Uh, relatively quickly. And so if you're a note taker, man, tonight is your night. Got a lot of notes. I got like a thousand slides. And so tonight's the night. And if you're not a note taker at all and, and you're getting lost a little bit, uh, then man, my hope is that you would just fall more in love and more appreciation with the, with the richness and depth of, uh, of the Bible, but specifically of this book that we're, uh, we're chewing on tonight. So that's where we're going. Uh, we're going to cover the entire thing. Um, uh, one thing that I feel like is a, a key for us, and I, I told this story, you're going to hear a lot of illustrations that we're kind of going to remind ourselves as we review this thing, um, was I shared this story when I put my son, I've got a four-year-old son and a one-year-old son, 
and I was putting my four-year-old son to bed, or at least I was supposed to. It was my turn to put him to bed. Um, putting him to bed is fun, but it's also really exhausting because it's lots of stories and lots of books, and I'm actually really good at it. Uh, I'm a really good putter to better. Um, I tell great stories. My stories are awesome. They have lava, usually. They now have a lot of transformers in them because that's kind of a new thing in my son's life. And so they've got transformers and Santa Claus all combined and lot, there's always some sort of lava involved and there's usually a pit that somebody falls into. So there's lots, there's character development. They're really, really good stories. <laughs> my, my four-year-old, she, I mean, he's amazed with these, right? So they're great stories. So, um, so I usually tell really good stories and my wife's stories, she's amazing. I love her. She's an incredible wife. She's a really bad storyteller. Her stories are like, her stories are like, there's a turtle, and it fell, and it got hit by a car, right? Like, it's just, there's no development, there's no hook, there's no, right? And she does it because she's exhausted because she's been with the, the boys all day. So anyway, long story short, I'm putting my son to bed. Uh, I'm, I'm supposed to. So we're in the bathroom, and he's peeing, and I'm sitting there on the tub uh, talking to him, and, and he just says, Dad, I want Mom to put me to bed tonight. And he does this sometimes, and I'm like, come on. Why? Like, and I'm, and I'm like, no, no, son, I'm going to put you to bed. And he starts getting teary-eyed. No, 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 I want mama to put me to bed. And I'm like, son, no, she's exhausted. It's my turn to put you to bed. I'm, I'm going to put you. And, he, and so we start kind of going back and forth. And, and so I, I just ask him. I say, Charlie, why, why do you want mama to put you to bed instead of me? Thinking, give me some unlogical answer. I'm going to beat you in this debate. And he says, and I've told this story before, he says, because she's more beautiful than you. <laughs> and I cannot argue with that. And so she put him to bed that night because um, I was like, babe, he got me. She, she, you are more beautiful. And he's like, she's much more beautiful than you. And, and that's what the book of Ephesians, and that's what we want to see. We want to be people, right, who are drawn. We are people who are drawn to beautiful things, right, beautiful things. And my hope is that um, when we unpack the word of God, and my, my expectation is that when you study the word of God, and when you really lean into the word of God, what's going to happen is you are going to fall in love. You're going to be drawn into a relationship with the God of the universe because it's beautiful. And not just the book is beautiful, not just the wording and the poetry, but what the book reveals of who God is, is beautiful. And we should lean to that and we should long for that. And we should be able to unpack an entire book, six chapters in one night or unpack two verses for an entire night. And, and my hope and prayer for us as a ministry is, Lord, would you make us people of your word who just crave it and draw into it and see you in it and see the God who has revealed himself through scripture. And so that's why we do this. That's why we thought, you know what? Before we jump into the Ted and Lynn night and some other things we're doing, man, let's take one last look at this book that will transform your life if you let it. If you, if you let it and you let it change you and you let it, um, you believe it. If you believe it and walk it out, it'll transform your life. And that's what we want, obviously. That's what this ministry, Renovate, is all about, man. Life change, because uh, that's what our God does. So here's what the book is. The book is two sections. Section one, right? Paul is writing this book, the Apostle Paul, to this church that he planted. These are people that he evangelized and saved in this, in this town called Ephesus. And he's got this church here in Ephesus. And, and years later, he's writing them this letter from prison to encourage them, right? Because he, he left his church behind and the church is growing, but they're struggling. And he's saying, man, here's my, here's my letter to you guys. Here's what the Holy Spirit has put on my heart. And so it's got two, two sections, really. The first three chapters, 
chapters 1 through 3, and then there's a really clear shift in what Paul's doing, and then chapters 4, 5, and 6 are this really different section, and we're going to see what that looks like. The first part is, is really the, what we believe, and the second part is the action that comes from that belief. And so big picture, that's where we're going. Chapter 1. If I was going to summarize chapter 1, which I'm about to do, in one sentence, in one, what is chapter 1 of Ephesians about? It is about your identity in Christ. This whole first section, right, this, the first three chapters are all going to be about a new life he's given us. And then we have a new walk that should come from that. But you're going to see all four of these, the first points in this first section and these first three chapters are the new life he's given us. And the first chapter is about your identity in Christ, man. It's this incredible, incredible uh, chapter. Let me, let me read this to you. I'm not going to read the whole book because we don't have time. So I'm just going to pull out a couple of verses here and there. This is going to be a little bit longer. Um, verse 3 in chapter 1 is where I'm going to start. And we'll throw it up on the screen for you if it's easy, uh, if it's easier for you. You can just read along there or just listen to me. Uh, verse 3 in chapter 1, this is what Paul says. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I'm going to stop there. Um, chapter 1, brothers and sisters, Paul says, hey, here is who you are. We planted, you have, life change has happened, something, something changed in your life. Which, which we know as the Holy Spirit, getting a hold of someone, they're, they're saved, they're, they're transformed, they're indwelled with the Spirit of God, this crazy, crazy, mind-blowing thing. And then Paul leaves in there, and he's reminding them, let me remind you of who you are. And we see these words, like how God chose us, how God chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that he loved us and predestined us, right? He said, man, that's, that's my boy, that's my girl. I love them. I'm, I'm calling them out. They will be adopted by me. For what? For this idea of redemption and forgiveness. Uh, what, what we talked about with this um, was this picture, and I love this picture, of, a, of, of an orphanage, right? And we see this family go into an orphanage and just rescue, and to, to see a, an infant, right? A baby who can do nothing for itself, malnourished, dying, hopeless without someone to come and rescue. And that family spends money, spends time, makes huge sacrifices to say that is going to be our child. I am adopting that child and I'm making it my own and I will raise it and I will sacrifice and I will sweat and I will bleed and I will pour out my life for that child. That's my child. And that picture of adoption is what we see here, right? That's what we see in this first chapter. It's how Paul starts this whole thing off and says, man, that's your identity. You are adopted. Right? Not because you did a lot of good stuff, but because of his grace, you were adopted and he found you and he called you and he redeemed you and forgives you and this incredible, incredible relationship. And it's this awesome picture. And I, I like to think of that story of you know, just this infant, right? This you know, nine-week-old dying in an orphanage somewhere in a, in a war-torn country um, with no resources and this family rescuing it. And then I like to think of that baby growing up and maybe that baby is a 17-year-old girl one day, and she's ticked at her parents 
who adopted her and who you know, sold their minivan to pay the expenses to make this adoption happen. They did fundraisers and they, did, and they sacrificed. And, and that 17-year-old girl is ticked because her parents, uh, her parents want her to have a curfew and she's mad and so she flies off the handle and yells at her mom and she gets grounded. She goes to her room, this 17-year-old adopted girl, and, and sits on her couch and thinks, do my, do my parents really love me? My parents don't even really love me. God, they're so mean. I hate them, right? And I think if you were to stop that girl and have the perspective of time, the perspective and say, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Wait a second. What? They love you. Like, they love you. They adopted you. Remember what they did? Remember what you were headed for? And remember what they did and what they sacrificed and how they, and they adopted and they redeemed? And they, are you kidding me? And yet we do that all the time. I do that all the time, and I'm a pastor, and I get in these places in my life where I'm like, man, I just, I'm not loved, and I'm not, and I forget my identity. I forget who Christ has called me to be, and I forget that, that I am his son, and that that's what validates me, not the praise of other people, not the affirmation of other people, not uh, my bank account, not all the other things that we like to take and apply to be our identity. No, no. He said, we, we see our identity very clearly in Ephesians chapter one is, man, we are in Christ. That is our identity. That's what shapes us. That's what defines us. That's what validates us. It's incredible. It's incredible, incredible, incredible stuff. And so brothers and sisters, man, if that's where you guys are, if you're in this room and, and you're wrestling with that and you're in this season where you're like, man, I am frustrated and I don't know who I am and I'm searching for who I am and I don't know, and I know there's something missing, then it's Christ. Or maybe you're in Christ and yet you've just kind of wandered away, and yes, you're saved, and yes, you're still his son, but you're in this rebellious, and yes, you're still his daughter, but you're in this rebellious season where you just think, man, I just, I need, I need to find something. He's saying, I am that. I am that. I will establish your identity. I am that. Go to this. Remember this. Spend time in Ephesians 1, guys. Spend time in Ephesians 1. Remember what your identity in Christ is. Chapter 2. Chapter two, because we've got a book. There's so much that we're about to unpack in one night. Chapter two, I split this into two parts because we're too hard to do in one part. So two different, two different themes in, uh, in this chapter. The first 10 verses is your salvation in Christ. <clears throat> um, so we've got the whole chapter, identity. Then we've got your salvation in Christ. And um, I don't know, I'm gonna read it. <laughs> we got time, I'm gonna read it. Um, starts out this way, that's how the chapter starts out. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Super discouraging way to start something out. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So the first three verses of chapter two, Paul's like, here's bad news. Here's bad news. That's who you were. You were dead. You were dead. And then my favorite two words in the entire stinking Bible, but God. But God is how, chapter, is how verse four of chapter two begins. So you're dead, you're dead, you're, you're wandering, you're stuck, you can't do without it. And I think we've got this passage up there. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which, 
with which he loved us. Even when you were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Man, and, and it goes on, right? It goes on through, through all the way through verse 10. This is the salvation in Christ. Your salvation in Christ is, but God has rescued and done this work. Your salvation in Christ is we were dead and we were gone. We were hopeless. And, and then God did something and rescued and redeemed us. It's this awesome, awesome, awesome thing. That's how it happened. Hold that close. Remember that. Hold that close. And if you're in here confused of, man, what, what does that look like? Or maybe you're here searching and you're like, man, I'm not really sure what, what they believe or what we as a church believe. This is what we believe. But this book is what we believe. So everything here, you're going to get to see, man, this is where we're at. This is... This is the God who has saved us. Um, chapter two, we see our salvation in Christ. And then also in chapter two, we see our nearness in Christ. Man, this is good. We see our nearness in Christ. Um, I, I told a story, and I think I showed some pictures whenever we were at the section of the temple, right? So um, in the Old Testament time, the Jewish people who were, who were our ancestors, right, as, as believers, right, it's this, this beautiful lineage where God revealed himself to them. And he said, man, this is how I want to function. I want to function, you're going to build this temple, and I'm going to give you the specs for it, and I'm going to dwell in it, and there's going to be all these regulations. And so how the temple worked was you had the holy of holy, right, this like inner sanctuary, and then you had some outer courts, and it kind of kept moving out, and you had these little barriers. And each of those barriers was kind of a, uh, it was a, okay, well, man, are you, do you fit the qualifications to enter into this next barrier, right? And so if you weren't a Jew, right, in that period of time in, in history, then you weren't even allowed in the temple, right? You weren't even allowed near the temple. Or if you weren't, and, and the high priest, one high priest, who's like the holiest guy in the whole, you know, situation, he's the only guy that's allowed in the Holy of Holies, right, the inner sanctuary. And so you've got all these different levels, and you've got priests in this, and if you're a woman, sorry, you're not allowed in this courtyard, and just all these different regulations, all these boundaries. And then Jesus comes, and Jesus rips those boundaries. And Paul unpacks that in Ephesians. And he says, man, that's, he, God has now brought, brought us together with him. He has now brought us near to him. In this chapter 2, verse 13, it says, But now in Christ, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Because because the, the temple system was a sacrificial system where they sacrificed animals because that's at that time how God said, man, I want, you to, I want you to put your faith in me by sacrificing these animals to atone for all your wrongdoings. Well, now Christ has come and he is the perfect sacrifice. And that's what we believe. And now Jesus has come and he has been the perfect sacrifice, sacrifice on the cross for the sins of the world. And so now we have this, per and he has allowed all of us to be brought near. So we have nearness in Christ, and we see that, and we see that unpacked in, in chapter 2. Uh, and it's this incredible thing. And so maybe you have, maybe you, maybe you hear this and you say, yep, man, my identity is in Christ. I get it. That's who validates me. Jesus is where I should find my validation. I know that. Great. Uh, my salvation, yes. My faith is in God. God is the one who saved me through Christ. I, I get it, man. I get it. But maybe you really wrestle with, I do not feel near him. My picture of God, my picture of God is an angry dad with his arms folded. My picture of God is this angry tyrant who's just upset because I keep blowing it. This God that's just so frustrated with, why can you not get your stuff together? This God who said, no, no, you're not allowed in here. And yet, all throughout the New Testament and in Ephesians 2, 
We see a God who says, no, no, through the blood of Christ, those who are in Christ get to be brought near. You were once far off. You were brought near. I don't know where you guys are at tonight. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what that looks like in your life. I don't know if you feel this distance. And you say, yeah, I get it. I'm saved by grace. I, I get it. My identity is in Jesus. I struggle with that, but I get it. But man, I do not feel near this God. I think you should spend time in his word. I think you should camp out, man. If that's you, camp out at the end of chapter two. Do you believe this? Do you believe this is his revealed word to you? Do you believe what it says? What's that look like to live out and lean into? He has drawn near and he has allowed us to come to him. That's incredible. Okay, we gotta keep going. God, there's a lot. Okay, your strength in Christ. Last one in, in, uh, in this cute little box, a new life. Chapter three. Chapter three, if, if we're gonna summarize it in, in one way, we're gonna talk about it. We have this beautiful prayer of Paul where he's praying for his people. What he's praying for, he's praying for these people he loves, right? I mean, these are his people. This is his church. He planted them. These are his people. He's sitting in prison in Rome writing this, and he's saying, man, I am praying for strength, and a strength that's rooted in a love and knowledge of, of Christ. Uh, in chapter three, verse 17 18 and 19, we'll throw it up on the screen. It says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. <clears throat> Man, that's good. Gosh, I really want to preach a whole sermon on that, um, but I'm not going to. Chapter three, Paul's prayer for us, his, what we see revealed in that chapter is that he desires for us to be strengthened. And we're gonna come back to this when we see the very last uh, section in, in chapter six, but um, we're called to have this strength and it's a strength that comes from being rooted and grounded in the love that Christ has for us. Not just we, we have to develop this strength somewhere in our own willpower, but we have a strength as a believer. If you are in Christ, believe this, read this, Make this yours and say, man, there is strength here rooted in how he loves me. That's where my strength comes, not from my willpower. Um, I have been given a, an identity. I've been given a salvation. I've now been given intimacy with the Lord, but also I have been given strength to remain with him, to chase after him from the Lord. Um, and then chapter three ends. And chapter three actually ends with Paul finishing his prayer and saying amen. And so, so, Chapters one through three, we have this is what it is. I mean, if you were going to say, man, what, are, what am I struggling with? What do I need to chew on? Where, you know, what, what do I need to really spend time in? What am I wrestling with? Then I want, you to, I want you to think about this, and I want you to think of the tool of the word of God and say, all right, a new life. Man, I'm called to have a new life. I'm called to have a new identity. I'm called to have a, uh, my salvation in Christ. My, my nearness is in Christ. My strength is in Christ. And then he says, amen. And then he starts chapter four. And when he starts chapter four, he uses this really, really important keyword, and it says, therefore. Because the next three chapters, the next three chapters are all a response to the first three chapters. So if we have a new life, we have this new life, and if these things are true, and if we really, really believe these things, not we've heard them in a sermon and we get it, and I know where you're going, Ben, and yeah, I've read that before, but there is belief that, it, that it, if that's happening, therefore, there should be action. There should be action. And then Paul spends time unpacking what that action is. So 
chapter 4, verses 1 through 16 is that first section. And it's this idea that one of those actions in this new walk, um, in this new walk, is your identity with others. So if you really believe this, your, I'm sorry, your unity with others is what should be shaped by that. You should have a unity with other people because of that. Um, and that's the first 16 verses of the chapter. I'm just going to read a couple of them. Chapter, verse 15 says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way in him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Uh, Paul uses this illustration to kind of explain and to kind of make his argument of uh, there's unity here. If, if these things are true about your new life, then there should be unity within the church. There should be unity within brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and he uses the illustration of a body, right? And a body having many parts. And, and some people are the elbow and some people are the spleen and some people are the molars or whatever it is, right? And, and it's this idea that like, man, we are all unified and we should be with our gifts working in unison to bring God glory. And we obviously see how dysfunctional that is in reality so often within the church and within, within believers. Um, and, and I say this a lot, but... If you, um, if you look around, right, if you say, yeah, I believe this, first three chapters, I'm with you, Ben, got it. And then if you look at your life and you look at your community and, and you look at where the community you're, you're drawn to and the community that you say, man, this is the community that I, that I want and that I'm, I'm building, that I'm choosing, <clears throat> and it's all people that look like you or it's all people that you're comfortable with, right, it's the people that, that you're comfortable with, then that's not the kingdom, right? Like, that's just a fun clique of people. You don't actually need the Holy Spirit at all to bring unity to a bunch of people that all would get along anyway. The gospel and how it changes our identity should change the way our community looks, right? Race, obviously, should not ever be a factor, right? There's no place for, for white supremacy if you're a believer, right? If somebody says they're a white supremacist and also says they're a believer, they're a liar, right? Or at least they're not living out truth. Right? They're living a, a, a lie. So we have no place for racism. We have, we have no place for, for, that, for bigotry, but also just socially. Right? If you've got people in your life that you're like, oh, man, this guy wears me out. This girl wears me out. Man, it's inconvenient, this friendship. Praise God. You need the Holy Spirit in relationships. You need God to create unity in this. Um, Josh, when he preached this, uh, he, he talked about the difference, and I loved it, and I've, I've thought about it a lot since then, the difference between oneness and sameness. And if you're here for that sermon, you, you're going to remember that because it just sticks because we're called to oneness. But oneness and sameness are two very, very different things. And as Josh unpacked, we're drawn to sameness. You know why? Because sameness is easy. But we're called to oneness. And oneness is this messy thing, and it takes God bringing things together, and I love it, and I love the messiness of this room, man. I love the fact that we've got a room full of people that, you know, that are a range of demographics, right? Even within the young adult bubble that, that this is, a range of ages and backgrounds and, and religious backgrounds and, and uh, all of that stuff, right? I love that, and yet I'm really, really not content because this thing needs to continue to look like the kingdom. And there needs to be continual people that are brought into this and feel welcome to say, man, you belong here. You are brought near because of the gospel. 
You should be able to belong in this community. It's an awesome, awesome thing. It's one of the ways, it's one of the new, it's a new walk that we should have. This should shape it. This should be an effect. If we really believe that new life, there should be unity with others. Next. <clears throat> We're doing good on time, guys. Y'all are going to get sleep tonight. Um, next, and this is a big section, <clears throat> your behaviors. So the gospel produces unity. The gospel also just transforms our behaviors. And so I just, for the sake of time, took a huge chunk, right? The end of chapter four, all of chapter five, and the beginning of chapter six. What we see is Paul unpacking behaviors that are transformed by our identity, salvation, right? Intimacy with him. It should should transform our behaviors, right? Uh, We see verse 24 in uh, chapter four. It says, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Man, if we're saved, if you're saved in here, your life should look different than it did before, right? If you have put your faith in Christ, then your life should look different, and it starts to shape behaviors, and it starts to to change the way we interact with things and people, and he gives a long list, and so, man, if you want to zoom into that, be like, man, what does that look like? And that's what we spent time, or go back and listen to some of these sermons and some of the behaviors that being in love with Christ is going to change the behaviors about how you interact with drinking and alcohol, how you interact with your anger and pride and how you interact with sex and how you interact in a marriage and uh, how you interact in relationships with leaders that are in your life. All of these things, all of these behaviors are transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we mistake that about Christianity all the time, right? Um, we get this backwards. Um, and, and maybe you're in this room, in which case I'm really glad you're here. I'm glad you're hearing this. And you have heard or believed or kind of bought into the idea that Christianity, if you're going to be a Christian, okay, how do I, what, what does being a Christian mean? What's it about? How do I do that? Accidentally, so often people start there, but they start on behavior. Man, it's about behavior modification. If you want to be a Christian, here's the list of stuff you got to do. Here's what you got to look like. Here's how you got to interact with alcohol, and here's how you got to interact with sex, and here's how you got to interact in your marriage and with others, and all these behaviors, right? And we start looking at that. And so many people, that's their perception of the gospel. That's their perception of Christianity. Oh yeah, you do those good things and then you get God. And that is not the gospel. That's not anywhere in here. That's exactly the opposite of the gospel. And so I love that behavior, behavior should change. But behaviors don't change to get saved. Behaviors change as a result of salvation. It changes as a result because people are made new. And yes, then their life should look different. But people maybe who haven't been made new yet, or maybe you have and you're just wrestling and you're confused with it, are going to look at that and be like, oh, so I'm seeing the outward effects. I guess that's what I need to do. And there's not heart transformation, man. There's no surrender. And honestly, that's a beating. Like if I could just be real honest, to just live the Christian life without actually having a relationship with Christ would suck. Right? And it does suck because I do it. I mean, there, there's seasons in my life before I really knew who Jesus was in a relationship where I was like just doing the church thing and the Christian thing. And here we see now it's a result. Don't put the cart before the horse. It is a result of this relationship. It is a result of those identity issues. Um, awesome stuff. But you're gonna see in two chapters there what our behavior should look like, what our behavior should look like. So brothers and sisters, go back and spend some time in that. Spend some time in that and wrestle with, man, do do my behaviors match? Am I producing the fruit in my life? I was actually talking about this with somebody last night of, man, how do we know somebody's saved and what's that look like? And 
uh, Jesus talks a lot about this idea of a tree bearing fruit. And, and so much of what we're doing is we're trying to identify, man, is that tree really alive? Right? Is that tree really alive? And underground, maybe it's got roots that you can't see. And it's like, those roots could be dead. Those roots could be not connected to life source, could not be connected to water. It could be dead. You know, we don't really know until we can really see the fruit of what happens on, on top. But that's hard to tell. And, and maybe a tree doesn't bear fruit for a really, really long time, but it's alive, just barely hanging in there. Our hope is that we would not only be saved, but also be fruit-bearing, that we'd be plugged in, that our roots would be deep, and that that would transform our, our, the fruit in our life. It'd be all these incredible things, all these incredible results of our relationship. And that fruit, even Galatians talks about it, is, is awesome things. It's things that we should want. It's love and joy and peace. I mean, that's, that's the fruit that being in Christ produces. Okay, last section. Good. Last section, here we go. <clears throat> the, the last little part in chapter six is 10 through 20. Um, it's, it's kind of what we didn't preach, but I really recommend you to go check out Cody's sermon on it from Sunday. And it's a, the battle plan to stand firm. So the walk, right, the new walk should, should look like unity with others. It should look like all these behavior changes that we don't have time to get into all of them again. Uh, and then it should look like a battle plan, a battle plan to stand firm. Uh, verses 10 and 11 in chapter 6, Paul says this. He says, finally, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. <clears throat> and we are at war. We are spiritually at war. Um, if, you're not, if you're not joining us on Sunday morning, we'd love for you to come. We're going through a series uh, from the, the main pulpit here at Christ Chapel called The Invisible War, and it's just, a, it's just this. It's how do we do battle, right? There is this enemy that is trying to kill, steal, and destroy, and that sounds weird and foreign and what? And yet I think if you look at the results in our life, you, you'd be able to identify, man, I, I do feel under attack, man. I do feel like I'm getting my butt kicked at times. And brothers and sisters, if that's you guys, and if you just feel like I'm getting beat up right now, I feel far from him, I feel discouraged, I feel lonely, I feel depressed, I feel anxious, I feel like I've got these sin patterns in my life that I know don't, they don't produce life. I'm stuck in these patterns, though, and I don't know how to shake them, and I don't know how to stand firm, and I don't know how to battle this, what it feels like, just this attack, this crushing attack. When Paul ends his letter, I really encourage you guys to spend some time in it. He ends it with saying, stand firm, and then he equips us. He equips us with these incredible things, with our salvation, and he, he uses this illustration of a soldier wearing armor, and it's... It's an incredible picture of how he has equipped us with his salvation, his gospel, and his word, right? The word of God, and, um, gospel, and his righteousness that covers us, and the truth that he has given us, um, and the shield of faith uh, to believe that he is better, that he is better than all of the things that would attack or all the things that would vie for our attention and vie for our love, and they would say, I'm more beautiful than that. And, and we'd say, no, that's a lie. Maybe there's instant gratification in some of the things of the world. Maybe there's Maybe there's sin that's super enticing, obviously, because it's sin and it's enticing. But is it better? Is it better than being rooted? Having that kind of satisfaction, that kind of freedom? Paul challenges us and encourages us to stand firm. And here's the, here's the plan. Here's the weapons. Here's, here's how you do that. If you are getting your butt kicked, man, let this review spur you to say, man, that's what I want to chew on. That's, this next week, I'm going to read those 10 verses every day. 
If you're struggling with your identity, man, let this review encourage you and say, man, that's I'm chapter one. Man, I just, I'm going to memorize it. Struggling with how I'm saved. If you're struggling with what it looks like to, to walk out the Christian life, man, spend time right there in the middle of the book. Um, it's this awesome thing. I, I want to show this, the, the picture of both the boxes. So um, it's a real small font, but this is Ephesians, right? This is a really, really 30,000-foot level of Ephesians. Um, it's so deep in this book. Spend time zooming in and digging in. That's my hope for us and for you guys and for this series. And, and as we get up here and preach the word of God is that you guys would dig in. But we see a new life, and then we see this idea of, therefore, if that's the case, then here's what a new walk should look like. A new life with a new identity and a new salvation and a nearness and a strength, and those things then should produce unity and should produce radical behavior change and action. And it should produce this plan to be able to stand firm against just, just all that the world throws at us. So my only two questions, and I'm wrapping it up with this, are um, do you believe? Do you believe and are you living it? Do you believe it? Do you believe what he says about you? Do you believe he is who he said he was? I think there's a lot of people that, yes, nod their head, but are you living it then? Has your belief transformed into, into action? And as a, as a pastor, and as a guy who theoretically makes it my job to look like Christ, I think of that question, I think, not enough. I think not enough. And I, and, I, and I read Ephesians, and I study it, and I lean in, and I hear the question, do I believe it, and am I living it? And I say, God, I want to believe it more. God, would you increase my faith? Would you let me see you more? Would you reveal yourself more? And I, I get in his word and I study and I study and I surround myself with other people who believe it. And then I go and I visit with people who don't believe it and I, I speak that truth into their life. And, and then I look at my life and am I living it out? Ah, maybe in these ways, in these ways, and I'm shallow over here. Lord, would you help me live this out? That's the question I want you guys, I want you guys to walk away with a, maybe a little better view of how beautiful the word of God is. And even a better perspective of this book of Ephesians, I could change your life and say, man, I, I know this book now. I know this book better. I got, I got some handles on this book that I can go to and I can, I can apply to my life and I can camp out in some, some places that I know I need for my heart. Um, but then I want you to ask those questions. Do you believe it? Do you really believe your identity is in Christ? Or is it in someone else or something else or some other pursuit? Do you really believe that you are saved and brought near and that he has given you the strength? And are you living it out? Let me pray over you. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word, God. Uh, thank you for Ephesians, Lord. This has been so fun. And even tonight, just um, a really different kind of night, but just this review, uh, Lord, I pray that it would be glorifying to you, Father, and it would be so sweet and that your spirit, as we make much of Jesus, would just meet us in that place. Uh, and that as we respond in worship and as we, we go back into this time of, of singing, Lord, uh, would just the worship of hearing your scripture and seeing your truth, uh, would you do the work that only you can do, God? Uh, we are grateful that you're a God who didn't require us to get all our stuff together so that you would love us, but you loved us while we were still far off, and you did what you did. God, would you just continue to change our lives, Lord? Would you just continue to show us what is better, Lord? And that is you, and, and that you would bring conviction to my friends in this room who, uh, and even my own heart, God, and the things that I choose over you and that you would uh, just slowly, step by step, Father, lead me and, and allow me to walk, to walk out this, this Christian life in a way that gives purpose, in a way that brings glory to you. 
That's our heart, Lord. Holy Spirit, do this in the name of Jesus. Amen.